Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1, where we challenge the assumptions of our current society to resist oppression and investigate alternative ways of living for a world based on justice, solidarity, and sustainability. Welcome to the Paradigm Shift on 4ZZZ 102.1 FM. It is your local community radio station and my name's Andy and I'll be hanging out with you for the next hour and to on Jagger and Turable Country as always where we're broadcasting here and to whatever uh, place you are tuning in from on the FM radio or online, um, of course many different Aboriginal nations across this land. Today on the show we're going to be talking about governments trying to restrict protest. That's right, um, it's just a, a periodical thing that comes out every now and then the governments have brought out some new way to try to shut down protest um, and it There must be something in the air because all around the country it is happening at the moment. And today on the show we're going to be hearing from Victoria and Tassie where governments have just brought in new anti-protest laws targeted at forest activists. And then we're also going to hear from uh, Tim Neville from Blockade Australia. Now, this happened a couple of months ago. And I didn't cover it at the time because it was a bit hard to get onto people and different things because of some of the craziness of the policing of the uh, last Blockade Australia protests. But it's a story that needs to be told about the lengths that um, police and the governments who tick things off will go to to shut down protests. Extraordinary um, use of police powers and then... Uh, use of the legal system, putting people on bail, crazy bail conditions, refusing to um, release people from remand and things like that. And so it's quite, I had a, quite a long chat with Tim about what happened, and so maybe we'll do that in the second half of the show. Um, ben, and all of them, the interviews today, I sort of end by saying, well, what do we do? Police and governments are doing these things to shut down people. There's, you know, penalties are going up and things like that. And each person in their own way says, well, we've got to keep going, you know. That's the thing that creates positive change in our society is protest, you know. It is challenging these systems. It is people working out together. What tools do we have as as citizens and one of them is civil disobedience actions and so we've got to keep going um particularly environmental protests we're at a very acute point uh for our environment um you know as we're seeing with more natural disaster warnings happening as well so 
Uh, stick around if you want to hear what's going on in the world of restricting protest and what people are doing to respond to it. And we might start off in Victoria, where I spoke with Tuffy Morvitzer from the Goongra Environment Centre um, about new laws targeted at forest activists there. Hi, my name's Tuffy Morvitzer. I work for the Goongra Environment Centre, which is otherwise known as Gecko. We're a 30-year-old organisation um, born out of forest blockades in East Gippsland. Um, and we do, you know, citizen science as well as lobbying uh, and, um, yeah, direct action. Yes, it's a direct action that uh, we're going to talk about today because the Victorian state government has brought in new anti-protest laws, uh, supposedly uh, about workplace safety for forest workers. Can you tell us what are these laws? So um, the laws that come through the Sustainable um, Timber Act is... uh, they're they're kind of increasing further penalties um, for protests within logging coop areas and now the thing about these laws is that not only are they kind of aimed at um, further criminalising protests so um, so you can for for example um, they've expanded the definition of prohibited devices which is I think what they did up in Queensland as well with your anti-protest laws so for for us down here in the forest if we're found with the PVC pipe now which people often use for locking onto stationary machinery usually at night time um, that can give you a year jail term or $22,000 now um, so but even so even though that that's kind of like the showpiece of the law but actually I think what the real hidden agenda around these laws is aimed at citizen scientists. So citizen scientists come, which Gecko does a lot of work and historically has done a lot of work. Um, basically what we're doing is the work of the department, the work that the department should be doing. So they need to go into these areas and check for threatened species um, and then, you know, different kinds of threatened species trigger um, different protections in these areas. And so, um, so you know, concerned uh, community members are going out to these areas. They're checking for these species, um, and they're finding them. Um, and then that, you know, it means that logging is, um, you know, prohibited, or you know, there's buffers created and things like that. What it also does is it creates a lot of data for court cases. Now, at the moment, Vic Forest, which is the state-owned logging company has i think it's about six court cases against them for illegal logging so even when we're talking about criminal activity that's um that's where we really should be focusing our lens so what they're actually doing is um trying to criminalize further criminalize the whistleblowers of this criminal activity um of you know this state-run logging industry so I think, you know, while it's part of this, um, you know, n- nationwide trend to further criminalise um, both climate and environment um, organisers, in the middle of a climate crisis, it also has this kind of hidden agenda um, of, of kind of trying to um, destabilise some of those court cases against um, this state-owned logging company, Vic Forests. So, mm. Yeah. 
window. Yeah, the law is uh, called the Timber Harvesting Safety Zones Bill. Um, as you said, groups like Gecko have been blockading forests for many decades now, at least three decades in Victoria. It's quite disingenuous really saying that this is to do with safety. There is no record of uh, timber workers being harmed by protesters or anything like that, is there? Oh, uh, yeah. For Tassie, they introduced anti-protest laws also targeting um, forest activists but um, that have a broad application and implication for for lots of other movements. Um, we know that they requested for um, any reports to WorkSafe. So, you know, when there are incidents at work sites, um, that's, that's the avenue that they go through. There were zero reports for Tassie. We requested the same data um, and, you know, um, yeah, they as yet have produced nothing. Um, so, yeah, this, it's really a furphy. It's a cover-up. Um, so... Yeah, it, it, it has an alternate agenda um, and it's not workplace safety. We know that in Victoria, unions actually stood with us against these laws. There were four unions, including the Maritime Union of Australia, which is part of the CFMMEU, um, and as well as ASU, um, Public and Private, and United Workers Union. All of those unions said these diminish our ability to protest and that affects workers' right to uh, to protest as well. So you know this this um, injury to one is an injury to all. And yeah, so it's 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 not about that. Mm. Well, the laws yeah. have passed. What's the plan now for uh, groups like Gecko or people doing direct action or citizen science? Well, we have to contest them, right? We don't really have a choice. Um, you know, we're in a climate crisis where, I mean, you've got Tanya Plibersek saying we're leading, the, we're the world leading, um, mammal, we've got the world leading mammal extinction rate. Um, we, you know, we know that logging in Victoria, which is the most logged place in the, in the country, um, we know that it has a major effect on threatened species in East Gippsland where Gecko is based. Um, around 80% of the forested area burnt in the 2019-2020 bushfires. They're still logging business as usual. The only thing holding up areas are these court cases that are preventing them, you know, logging these critical refuges for, for threatened species. Now, we need biodiversity to survive. You know, this is not a small kind of, uh, a small cause. This is, we depend on that. And it might seem, uh, you know, like, um, hard to relate to because it's, oh, it's this place that maybe you've never been to or, you know, whatever. But it's, you know, these forested areas, they protect our water catchments. You know, up in the Arunandra Plateau, there's five rivers that come off there. You know, if we weren't blockading in 2021, the, the Defend the Arunandra um, campaign, if, we, if there wasn't that blockade up there, you know, they'd be still logging up there. And only, you know, these court cases and these blockades are really stopping them from, from this criminal behaviour. So, you know, we don't have a choice. Um, but, you know, what we know and what we've experienced through 
um, you know, organising and doing this coalition is that we've got more friends and enemies in this space. You know, we've got the climate movement by our side, we've got the union movement by our side, and if we don't fight, we don't win. And that's one lesson we've got from the union movement to share. Yeah. Tuffy Morvitzer from the Goongra Environment Centre, um, one of the leading uh, campaign groups for protecting Victoria's forests, and we we're talking about the new laws that the Victorian government has passed, um, criminalising protests, criminalising citizen science, Tuffy suspects, um, and protecting a logging industry that has time and time again been proven to break uh, the environmental laws that are meant to keep it in place. And so uh, Gecko and other Victorian activists are just saying, well, we have to keep going. Somebody's got to protect this forest and we need it. So it's not the only state, Victoria, that's bringing in anti-protest laws to protect its logging industry. Um, and by industry, we should mean... Uh, subsidy collecting group um, because that's the reality about native forest logging that actually it makes zero money and costs the state uh, millions of dollars each year in subsidies just to wood chip our incredible beautiful hardwood forests and send them off to be pulped um, and in Tasmania, that's the reality, the same as in Victoria. And I spoke with Jenny Weber this morning about laws that have just passed in Tassie as well, um, aimed at those who try to stop the logging of our forests. Let's have a listen to Jenny. Jenny Weber, I'm the campaigns manager at the Bob Brown Foundation, which really means that I get to work with Bob Brown on campaigns that he's keen on, and I get to work in a great team of, of uh, activists working on protecting or trying to defend uh, Tekina, a beautiful rainforest in northwest Tasmania from logging and mining and uh, working to see the end to native forest logging across Australia and and protect those ancient, wonderful forests that we still have. And one of the other things that you do is respond to anti-protest laws that are brought out periodically by the Tasmanian government, which the Bob Brown Foundation has had to do a few years ago with illegal challenge things and now will have to do again with new laws. So it was a really sad day in August when the anti-protest laws passed the Tasmanian uh, Parliament. We have seen this for 10 years in Tasmania, this government uh, trying to institute anti-protest laws. The first ones uh, they did bring in were shambles and Jessica Hoyt and Bob Brown took them all the way to the High Court and won and the High Court stated that you can't legislate against, you can't criminalise the freedom of speech and and the right for people to take action and, and engage in peaceful protest. Um, though our government kept trying and they've successfully passed uh, legislation that has changed the Police Offences Act. So that's the act that we would normally get arrested out in the forest for trespass, um, obstruction when we lock on. Uh, but now they've introduced harsher penalties for individuals. Um, and one of the challenges that we'll see here in Tasmania for the Bob Brown Foundation is they've introduced part of the law where the environment organisation or the Aboriginal community organisation 
any sort of body corporate that is found to be trespassing and obstructing um, can be charged for a maximum of $45,000. So we're pretty interested to see what happens. Just last winter, we did 50 actions in 50 days. So we're, we're interested to see when we get back into the actions in Tekina or the Native Forest, what does that mean for the Bob Brown Foundation? Because it could realistically mean that we lose our charity status, that we lose tax deductibility. But what would we do other than keep going and keep fighting for nature? We, that's what our clear objectives are. So, yeah, we'll, we'll just see the challenge of this criminalisation of protesting by the government and, and take them on for it because they're still destroying nature. So could you tell us in a bit more detail what the new laws are about? So uh, the new laws in Tasmania mean that increased penalties for the first time that you're arrested for being in a forest or, um, you know, being in Tekina defending uh, this the wonderful ancient rainforest, uh, your, the penalty has increased to um, a maximum of $13,000. The the thing is, though, what it also does is that it it increases the um, penalties to be in line with if you were engaged in aggravated trespass uh, so trespassing into someone's home with a gun for example so it's just this outrageous way of making an alarmist approach that protesters in Tasmania who have always been non-violent in everything that we've done um, you know are deemed to be equivalent to people who use violent violence in, in their acts of trespass um, if uh, another part of the legislation that they've changed is that it's an increased penalty if you're charged a second time um, for protesting in the forest uh, you know it, this also has a wide ranging effect I'm only talking about the impact on us as environmentalists but it has a wide ranging reach across people on all um, different places that if you were to enter into a workplace and protest then um, you're liable for increased penalties, increased jails terms and um, yeah, if you did it with an organisation like ours um, the organisation is also up for a penalty which they haven't been before. So last time the Tasmanian government brought about anti-logging protester laws, there was a challenge in the High Court by the Bob Brown Foundation which was successful. Is there plans for anything like that this time around? Look, our, um, our sad news for uh, the world and for Australia and for us and, and for the right to protest is that our legal advice is, is that the, the Tasmanian government may have just gotten it okay here and we're really worried that it means that whilst it stifles um, you know, peaceful protests or it attempts to stifle peaceful protest, um, our legal advice is that it's not going to be able to be challenged in in the high court so our foundation and activists with us have decided that we're going to fight on for forests and we're going to take keep taking action for climate and and nature and um you know this is not about and and this anymore are we going to be testing the laws or challenging them we just need to face them and i guess what we really do um have faith in is that there's people across the world who are facing such challenges when uh, fighting for climate and nature and you know much more draconian penalties than than we do so um, fightfully 
uh, that's our legal advice. Of course, um, you know, you never say never and we'll have to see how it plays out in the field, so to speak, where we're actually taking action. But for now, um, you know, they've taken 10 years here in Tasmania and they may have just got a bit of a watertight legislation to criminalise protesters and give them harsher penalties and potential um, increased prison sentences, sadly. Well, I guess with these laws in place now, the question is, uh, what should we do? How do we respond to them? Look, I think the thing is, is that we know that the, that the governments um, will not change in taking action on protecting forests, on, you know, stopping fossil fuel industries, destroying um, wild nature. We, we know that they, um, you know, really are in the pockets of the corporations. Um, we feel like we should think we're living in a democracy, but we know we're living in a, in a plutocracy. The, the corporations really are controlling the governments, and, and as long as they are not going to, I mean, they're not going to go out down with a fight. They know that the climate and, and you know, the nature of biodiversity breakdown is, is happening, but they're not going to give up their um, income from destroying our natural um, environment for their own greed. So, look, it's really, still, I just want people to understand that there's, there's many of us who are dedicated to uh, standing in front of those bulldozers and defending those forests and that wildlife. So, I just think that people need to dig deeper into a courageous effort for taking action for Earth and, and know that our foundation is absolutely dedicated to doing that. That's purely our objective for operating. That's why we're here. So um, we still will, despite the Tasmanian government um, trying to, to silence us. And, and look, this is the Bob Brown Foundation bill. All through the government debate, it was always talking about how we were a nuisance, how we were um, a problem um, and we needed to be, you know, crushed. And we're not going to be. We're not going to be. We're going to keep going. And um, people will all around Australia, despite criminalisation of protests, they will stand up and, and keep taking non-violent direct action. And, and all power to all of us that continue to do that. All right. Thanks very much, Jenny. Thanks, Andy. Jenny Weber from the Bob Brown Foundation down in Tasmania about new protest laws that have just been brought in there targeted at forest activists who are trying to um, stop our last remaining native forest being knocked down and um, Bob Brown Foundation has in the past fought those laws and won this time they're saying well it might be hard to do but we're just going to keep going just going to keep trying to protect our forest Um, now Going to jail for justice, Tim Neville is somebody who's involved in Block Aid Australia. You may have heard him. We've covered him a little bit on the show over the course of this year, talked to people involved. Um, they've done big uh, protests to try to target major infrastructure and to have a systemic critique of our, um, the destructive environmental destruction and why it happens. And... They tried to have uh, their most recent mobilisation a couple of months ago and it wasn't all that successful as a staging protest, but it was incredible at showing what lengths the state will go to to shut down protest activity that they don't like. Um, over the course of this interview, the, the story will unfold about everything that happened there, but um, it's quite a lot of things and it really needs to be written down and, and noted because of just the extent of it. And Tim himself spent 
uh, about four weeks in prison without having been found guilty of any crime or actually charged with any um, action that was illegal. And he's charged with a conspiracy crime, which is, you know, thinking about breaking the law. And he was held in prison for four weeks and is out now on bail, but on kind of indefinite bail, as we will hear, and in crazy bail conditions that um, severely restrict some of the kind of basic freedoms which we expect are our due in a, a free society. So um, let's have a listen to Tim. It's uh, quite illuminating. My name's Timothy Neville. I'm a direct action activist and a believer in effective on-the-ground, in-your-face solutions to the the ills of society. All right, well, that um, might lead us into our... Next question, I guess just for a bit of background, we're talking about protest laws on the show today and a few new protest laws have been brought in and I guess how protest is policed. Um, But for those who aren't familiar, can you briefly tell us, I guess, what is Blockade Australia, the group that you're involved in and their philosophy? Uh, Yep. Uh, So Blockade Australia is... uh, is, uh organized network of uh, direct action uh, activists that are attempting to challenge the legitimacy of the system that's creating destruction, genocide and uh, climate catastrophe on this continent and is an organized and uh, centralized attempt at making, making known that the issue is one that is systemic and that the um, solution comes by challenging the system as a whole rather than trying to implement small individual changes to deal with the, the issue as a whole. Mm. Well, the system, uh, if you challenge it as you guys have by, I guess, disrupting work on major infrastructure... Um, the system responds sometimes by cracking down on policing in various ways. And before we get into the most recent mobilisation, maybe a bit of background. The first two Blockade Australia kind of big actions both had responses, big responses from police once um, using a, a law saying that activists had intent to injure or kill workers to charge people and then um the second mobilization introducing a new law about blocking major roads can you tell us a bit about those first couple of crackdowns yeah so um blockade australia is interested in taking offensive direct action and by that i guess we mean rather than defending uh, an area or a site that's already been designated for um destruction or a new project uh, we're trying to tackle the system as a whole by disrupting um, Australia at its bottlenecks, and the first of which was uh, the port of Newcastle. It's the largest coal port in the world. Um, I was involved in that mobilisation and was um, arrested and charged for blocking um, access for trains to get across the Hunter River Bridge. Um, 
and uh, myself along with a number of other people were challenged with uh, endangering life on a train line um, although um, yeah these sort of as well as things like hindering the uh, operation of mining equipment um, charges which carry pretty heavy sentences um, two years in a magistrate's court or five outside magistrate's court um, two two People were even uh, charged with uh, endangering or threatening life on a train line. Um, ironically, the life that the uh, charges were referring to was um, their own, but that charge nonetheless carried a maximum sentence of 25 years in prison, um, a charge which was later dropped because of its, uh, I guess, ridiculousness. But the, uh, I guess when you have mobilisations like this or the mobilisation around the Port of Botany where um, it's increasingly challenging for the state to try and control these very um, very loud and very pointy movements who are sort of trying to challenge the legitimacy or the existence of the system as a whole rather than um, trying to, you know, cause X amount of dollars disrupted um, is that they will uh, come up with... Um, I guess, legal loopholes to try and repress those um, actions and mobilisations out of existence or at least out of effectiveness. And so um, creative use of um, very large and um, abstract charges like the endangering life or the um, yeah, the blocking of major infrastructure and things like this, they um, use because they can... Um, use pretty much anything as evidence of this and so they can make court cases drag out for a very long time uh it also um allows them to put very very strict bail conditions on people due to the severity of the charges and so i guess um a lot of these charges are very unlikely to stick in a courtroom but what it does is it permits the state to put on very very onerous and draconian bail conditions that can I guess effectively slow down or stop the uh, the movement from being able to continue. I guess it's a, a historical a historical strategy from law enforcement that the academics would call strategic incapacitation. So it's the slowly slowly chipping away at the the foundations of what makes groups um, or collectives of people able to um, unite around trying to um, fight for something together and really sort of pushes people into a place where they have to protect themselves from being attacked by the state. And, it, um, yeah, it's an attempt to hinder the ability for activists to organise peacefully on this continent. Yeah, so let's jump forward to the most recent Blockade Australia mobilisation, which... Uh, the police having been caught by surprise probably the first two times. This time it was the police that uh, went on the offensive. Uh, can you tell us what happened? What was the policing like of this mobilisation? Um, yes, yeah, so there was, after the Newcastle mobilisation, a strike force was set up to target Blockade Australia uh, that was ultimately unsuccessful at uh, preventing the mobilisation at the Port of Botany. Uh, in light of this, uh, the police minister, along with the chief of police in New South Wales, escalated their um, their offensive and created a new strike force, along with rushing through some very, very um, 
serious new laws through Parliament that essentially um, put people up for two years in prison of $22,000 in equivalent fines for blocking of major infrastructure and um, major arterial roads in particular. This um, all came uh, during the uh, Port of Botany mobilisation and then uh, in the time that followed the um, the week of action at uh, the Port of Botany, uh, the police were uh, obviously gathering uh, intelligence and resources and... Um, executed a preemptive raid on uh, a place where uh, people uh, were camping in the um, northwest of Sydney um, and uh, proceeded following that to um, put uh, a pair of people into prison for a month, uh, myself included, and then uh, on the roads during the mobilisation that did end up going ahead, people who were on the road, almost under police escort, really, um, people who were on the road for a number of seconds were um, photographed, uh, hunted down, arrested, uh, taken back to the watch house and charged with these new laws uh, for blocking major arterials and were... Um, yeah, also given really onerous bail conditions like um, being sent into state, being excluded from Sydney, not being allowed to go to international airports, having to hand over their phones to police, agreeing not to use encrypted software or messaging um, and very long non-association lists, um, the sort of thing you'd expect them to use to break up um, violent gangs and... Um, criminal syndicates but um yeah i think the great legacy of that um attempt for putting non-associations on people is that the state wants to deem direct action groups uh organized crime syndicates with intent to commit and incite indictable offenses and so um what once was you know small you know groups of people coming together and doing actions is now um, organised crime in the eyes of the state and it doesn't look like they'll rest until the, the courts verify that in the long run. Yeah, so I feel like this it does bear repeating. So you had a, a bunch of people who were um, doing a normal protest march along a road, as people do every weekend, and people who just walked down a road were arrested and uh, and then given bail conditions, which gave a long list of people they weren't allowed to associate with, so restricting freedom of association, told they weren't allowed to stay in New South Wales if they were from interstate, restricting freedom of movement, and then uh, being told they weren't allowed to use encrypted apps and things. And this is, of course, they haven't been found guilty of any crime. This is just a, a charge. Like, it's really... The bail conditions are often used against activists in a way that I would say is incorrect, but this is uh, another level. And the court case that they're going on is dragging on forever. I mean, the court case is set down for hearing in the middle of next year or something like that, so these bail conditions are going to last virtually a year. Yeah, certainly. It's a great strategy, death by process. Now, a few other things happened. Uh, one we'll briefly mention is the one... Uh, 
action that actually did sort of stop working in a traditional direct action way, young woman Marley, who uh, blocked the Sydney Harbour Tunnel, was charged under the new laws and then was uh, followed out of town in a quite an extreme way. Can you uh, tell us more about that? Uh, yeah, they were given 72 hours to leave the city of Sydney um, and to return to their residential address um, but were, um, I guess, followed and tailed by police and was... Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure of the details, but they were... Um, they were um, stopped by police uh, and uh, accused of breaching bail for still being within Sydney despite the fact that they it was within 24 hours of their release. And so um, there is definitely a lot of... Um, a lot of individual cases where um, people were released, tailed and harassed by um, police immediately following their arrest, seemingly in a bit of a, um, yeah, a bit of a power move to, uh, I guess, yeah, convey some sort of message to people um, to not not get comfortable and to get out of the city immediately, um, despite what the courts had said to do. Mm. Now, let's talk about yourself. You took no part in that mobilisation, in the actions, because you were preemptively arrested and then held in prison for a month. I mean, can you talk us through it and what it was like for you? Um, yeah, so there was um, there was a raid at a place that we were um, camping at um a few weeks before the mobilization and um there was um there's obviously a, a a list of people that the police wanted uh when they came i was one of those people um the um every car on the property was searched every building every um individual um and uh i guess as we went through the process uh, the charges kept changing, but uh, the gist of it was that um, I'm, you know, alleged to have aided and abetted in the commission of a future crime. Um, and uh, my uh, other, the other activist who ended up in uh, prison with me was charged with the same thing. And so um, it was, yeah, sort of charged with thinking about protesting is what is what I would call it um I was yeah we were remanded and sent to Parkley Correctional Centre which is maximum security um for a period of about 24 days um in total the um 17 of those days we were in um COVID isolation in our cell and um, weren't allowed to leave the cell for that period of time due to yeah COVID isolation supposedly and prison overcrowding. Um, the justification I heard informally for the maximum security was that this prison was the most proximate to uh, the magistrate's court where we were going to be heard um, some time after after our arrest, and so. Um, yeah, it was pretty. It was a pretty challenging experience. Um, I think it's definitely a lot different being in prison. I guess when you um, have, you know, 
people on the outside and lawyers who are going into bat for you straight away. But yeah, I met a lot of people in there who sort of just got um, ripped out of their lives at some point and didn't have any help or assistance and sort of had to just wait it out, I guess. And so there was, I guess, a bit of resolve in me that came from the solidarity that I was getting from the outside and the help that we were getting. But it was, it was very, 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 very un, unpleasant experience in almost every way. But I think the the objective of this, I guess, was to send a message or to, I guess, threaten or to shake me, as it were. And I, I um, don't think prison is the way that that is going to work. So I'm, you know, didn't didn't have a very good time. But I'm also, I'm also not, you know, I've not let the experience affect me in a way that's going to like, you know, functionally change the um i don't know i guess the way that i believe that we're going to be able to overcome the issues that we're facing and so um yeah it's definitely a massive overreach but i think it was pretty clear that it was overreach from the outside and the the media seemed to agree and um the over policing of the actions I guess was pretty exemplified by the fact that there was quite large disruptive street protests happening that week, industrial action uh, in Sydney that was uh, sort of brought out a lot of questions about um, hypocrisy in the state. And um, yeah, it was just a bit of a, it was just a bit of a circus really. And I don't think it was very effective on the part of the people who are trying to stop um, people from trying to save the planet as it were. Mm. And what's happening with that case? Those charges are still outstanding, are they? And you're on out on bail now? Yeah, I'm in Victoria on bail um, and um, have pretty, still have pretty harsh bail conditions, um, very, very restrictive bail conditions. And um, yeah, the... The case is in a perpetual state of adjournment at the moment, so it's just, um, yeah, the can is being kicked very far down the road, and every time it gets kicked, it gets kicked a bit further. So, um, yeah, I don't anticipate I'm going to be able to be very, you know, able to communicate with anyone or um, have any sort of involvement in activism for quite a while based on the fact that I could be sent straight back to jail for even appearing to be participating in information talks and public gatherings and things like that. Well, thanks very much for chatting with us, Tim. I guess the last question is, um, how does the people in Blockade Australia, how do you plan on responding to this, uh, these kind of crackdowns on freedom by uh, police and government? Yeah, I think at this stage, um, I think at this stage there was a huge outpouring of support that came from across the movement and even across the political spectrum to a degree after the things that happened at uh, at Colo and on the streets of Sydney during that week. And so, um, you know, there was a, there was a lot of 
um, press coverage, a lot of uh, NGOs and, um, I guess, you know, closely allied uh, direct action groups came out very publicly in support of the um, resistance to the overreach uh, and it seems to have galvanised support in the community. There was a um, in Melbourne right after I was released there was a public um, uh, a public sort of gathering of climate groups which hadn't come together in quite a while and um, yeah, being being amongst those different groups for the first time in years, I think I really got the feeling that the movement was sort of collectively realising that um, it's not just the it's not just blockade Australia that's under attack, but it's everybody. And so I think the I think the way forward is through I guess yeah maintaining relationships, getting stronger in our communities and being very um yeah very open to um yeah sharing sharing our stories and um yeah just sharing everything that we can in our various different you know political persuasions because the the only uniting at this point is going to help us um or prevent us from getting kicked like like we were when we were so small and so yeah i think movement and community building is the most important thing to do and to double down on our human relationships at this point all right thanks very much tim thank you appreciate it that is tim neville there um talking about his own experience being locked up um without being found guilty of anything um, charged with conspiring to commit uh, an offence and spending four weeks in prison and the experience of Blockade Australia um, and so many people still on extremely draconian bail conditions are severely restricting their movement and association. There's restrictions on protests going on everywhere, but what are we going to do about it? Well, by sitting back and doing nothing, it certainly doesn't seem a way to uh, fight back. And so uh, we just have to be creative, be courageous and support those people that are stepping out and are copying these laws. And, um, you know, we need to. That's the reality. Our world is extremely unjust. There's issues going on. We're entering environmental crisis and there's not a response that we need. And so... Let's keep doing it, keep doing what we can. Um, About out of time on the Paradigm Shift. Hope you enjoyed the show. I'll be back next week.